pushing buttons and pulling triggers. This is Gun Funny. Welcome to Gun Funny episode 140. Today I'm going to chat with Tim Sargent from Chris USA, talk about a short-lived win for California, and discuss the Valhalla Tactical MRDS uh, prototype. That's right, MRDS prototype. I'm your host, Ava Flanell, and Tim, how are you doing? Doing really well. Thanks for having me. Well, as long as you can talk, you're probably doing a lot better than I am. You know? (laughs) You're not doing too bad. Yeah, you know, just the intro. No big deal. Whatever. All right. So before we get into it, let's talk about Manicore Arms real quick. I'm super excited to announce that CZ is sending me the Manicore Arms bullpup kit to do a review on. And if you guys haven't seen it, it's been out for a little while now, but it's really cool because if you have the Scorpion Evo carbine, you can convert it into a bullpup. Sven came up with a way to switch out a few parts. And next thing you know, you have this really cool bullpup rifle. So be on the lookout for my review. I should be getting everything on Thursday. So in the next couple of weeks, but in the meantime, if you want to get your bullpup kit, you can head on over to CZ's website and Manicore Arms is also making a bunch of other accessories to go with that. So check it out at manicorearms.com. Use the code gunfunny15 and that gets you 15% off. Learn the things you never knew on Deconstructing the Industry. All right, you are from Chris, USA. But before we get into that, I want to know what is your role there? I am the marketing manager. Okay, cool. Was that your first role at Chris or have you been with the company for a while and kind of moved up? It was my first role. It's also where I, yeah, it's where I started and I have been here for about seven years or so. It's kind of a small team, maybe a little bit smaller than people realize when they see Chris. Yeah. So you <laughs> guys have me a... me and my graphic designer and we've had a couple of other uh, people in the marketing department come in and out, but it's a pretty small, uh, pretty small team in general. Well, you know what that means, you know, less people, less mistakes, right? Uh, in some cases, yeah. <laughs> In some cases, yeah. I mean, it is nice being very, I guess you could say agile. Yeah. So we're able to pivot and change things around really quickly. Whereas uh, some bigger companies may may take a while to adjust to certain trends in the industry and whatnot. And being a small team and kind of being in, inside the, the management circle as well is kind of fun because, you know, a lot of my ideas and stuff I can see come to fruition. And, you know, when I see that stuff get out there and guys using the guns and the feedback that I get from, uh, you know, social media and whatnot. It's, it's kind of cool. Mm-hmm, definitely. Have you always been into firearms? Um, no, not really. I'm definitely more into guns since I started at Chris. I mean, mm-hmm. I've been around guns since I was a kid. My grandfather kind of taught me how to shoot when I was really, really young, but my parents weren't really gun people. So I didn't really own my first firearm until I became an adult. And I was always really into Nerf guns and Airsoft is actually kind of my my segue into the gun industry. Mm-hmm. So I was working at an Airsoft store for a while and I was really into Airsoft guns. And then uh, when the opportunity came up to join Chris, I jumped on it. Nice. That's pretty cool. Yeah. A lot of people. So let's just talk about a little bit of history about Chris. Yeah. A lot of people have no idea that Chris started out as Transformational Defense Industries mm-hmm. and you guys announced that you were designing a new submachine gun in 2007 and then the second generation followed in 2011. So Mm -hmm. can you just kind of give a brief history of that? Yeah. So it's way before my time. I started in 2013, but from what I know and what I can verify from the stuff that I have, yeah, TDI was kind of the, I want to say maybe the existing entity of Chris here in the United States because the big boss He's from Switzerland, and the actual the Super V mechanism was invented by a French engineer. So the original, you know, technology kind of originated from Europe, but it was uh, the vector has always been made here in uh, Virginia. It started out in Virginia Beach. Um, so the owners have very close ties to you know guys in the military, and Virginia is a very big military town. Or Virginia Beach is a very big military town. Mm-hmm. So that's where the original TDI where it started. But we've been through uh, quite a bit of management changes in the last, you know, 10 plus years. And so that prototype you're talking about that kind of came about in 2011 or was announced in 2011 uh, still hasn't really come to fruition. My team, you know, when we started in 2012, 2013, around that time, 
we really kind of focused on making the vector a better platform, which is why we came out. Our first priority was the vector gen two. So a lot of stuff that was done previously with the old TDI, with the old Chris crew, you know, we still have it, you know, a lot of the, the great engineering and the prototyping and stuff like that, it's kind of stuffed away in our vault, but we really felt like the priority for us would be to, you know, make sure the vector was as good as it could be because it, as far as performance and reliability wise, when we first jumped on board, it really wasn't up to par, at least for our standards. And so that's kind of where we, we took things from, from where TDI left off. Mm -hmm. So then yeah. in, in reality, the vector hasn't really been around that long. No, I want to say the original, the original design and we call it like the Mark V prototype, you know, it doesn't even look like a vector. Mm -hmm. It was before um, any of the exterior was designed. That has been around since maybe 2003, 2004. And then it took many years and a lot of designing to kind of create the vector shape and, you know, the vector that we all know and love. For me, when I first learned about the vector, it was on Future Weapons in like 2006 or seven, when that show was really big on Discovery Channel. And that was really kind of the first vector prototype after the exterior was designed. Prior to that, it just looked like a garden hose attachment. Hmm. Interesting. Um, and it's kind of cool. I have a lot of old pictures of the testing that went into it. And there's a lot of very prominent people in the gun industry that were involved in the early days of the vector that I don't know if I'm allowed to to say who it is, but you know, it's it's kind of funny to see some of these guys when they're much younger and they have a lot more hair on their head than on their face. And then like, hey, I recognize that guy. He's in all these videos now. So it, it's kind of neat. The the company and the history of it is it's kind of short compared to say you know Colt or somebody who's been around for a long time but yeah uh, it's it's been fun it's been a fun ride for Chris so far well, let's talk about the design of the vector it's very unusual I would say it's definitely different yeah. from all the guns that are out on the market right now right. right and what was the purpose behind sort of that design the original idea and and the reason that the gun first came out as a submachine gun was to replace the mp5 for law enforcement and counterterrorism mm -hmm. type applications and the idea to use a 45 would be to provide that extra bit of oomph you know behind the cartridge instead of a nine millimeter in the mp5 but the the vector mechanism as you mentioned is very different so it re-vectors the energy the recoil energy instead of coming straight back to go down to counteract the barrel's natural tendency to rise. And that's that's kind of the, the main driving focus behind the design would be to kind of contain the 45 um, and to be able to have a submachine gun that could be fired and burst in full auto very controllably. And so the vector mechanism, the Super V system helps mm -hmm. do that. Um, another main you know design aspect that helps control the recoil is the fact the uh, bore axis is very low. So mm -hmm. the the barrel is actually in line with the bottom of the trigger as opposed to being above it. So as you're shooting the gun, as you're, you have to have a proper shooting stance and, and holding the gun, you have a lot of, uh, I guess you would say, mechanical advantage to kind of control the recoil and, and keep your keep your rounds on target. Mm -hmm. You know, that was the original idea. We wanted to compete with the MP5 and replace that as far as the uh, military and law enforcement applications go. And then later on, the, the semi-auto version was developed for, you know, people like us yeah which i actually i had the opportunity to recently shoot your guys's guns and oh. it's weird because you know being in the industry now since about 2012 2013 i've never shot any chris vectors mm. and i kind of at first like you see you're like oh okay it's kind of cool but yeah. it just dawned on me the other day this is the first time that i've shot it so i have the new the 22 as well as the the SBR version in 45 right. and right. I shot both of those and I was just really impressed. They both shot really well. Even the 22, I got to admit nowadays, I don't get super excited about 22s anymore. I'm just like, yeah. all right, let's just, let's just shoot this thing. But it was actually uh -huh. a lot of fun. Yeah. And I did yep. notice granted, all right, 22 doesn't have any recoil, but even the 45, it was really pleasant to shoot. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, the, the Super V system. Now, the 22 doesn't have the Super V system. There's really not enough. There's mm -hmm. not a need to have it. So it's just a yeah. regular linear blowback. But yeah, with the 45, with the Super V and the low bore axis, and, you know, if you have, you know, proper shooting mechanics, it's it's very, very controllable. Mm -hmm. So tell me about what is the toolless caliber conversions? So the way that the vector comes apart or the way that's put together is there's four body pins that keep the upper and lower receiver 
attached. And uh-huh. so in the upper receivers, your fire control group, your trigger and your sears and your hammer and everything like that. And in your lower is where the bolt and the recoil system and the barrel are. And of course it holds the magazine as well. So the easiest way to change calibers is actually just to have a separate lower receiver on hand and you can pop four pins out and then take your lower off and then put a different lower on. Let's say you have a nine mil originally and you want to shoot 45, then you just put your 45 lower on and then you're, you're good to go. So hmm. it doesn't take any tools. You can literally change calibers uh, within a couple of seconds. Now the downside to our system versus some other modular caliber guns is that the serialized portion of the gun is the lower. So you're technically buying a new gun every time you buy a lower receiver, mm-hmm. uh, but it is a little bit cheaper than buying a whole new gun and you do have that modularity. So mm-hmm. it's a, there's a little bit of give and take with it. Yeah, definitely. And honestly, I mean, there's nothing worse than getting to the range and you want to change something out or you forgot your tools. Mm-hmm. So yeah. the less that you use tools, the better, in my opinion. I'm going to take a quick break and talk about SB Tactical. SB Tactical actually makes a brace for you guys. It's the Vector PSB, and it's designed exclusively for Chris for the Vector Mm -hmm. SDP pistol. Yeah, several years ago. So the way that SB Tactical kind of came out on the market, you know, SIG had the exclusive with them for a long time. But as soon as that was expired, they started making braces for everybody. Uh And so they designed the PSB brace after the vector stock and so it kind of kept the same shape as the original vector stock and so that's what was sold with our pistol version of the vector for for a while but you know as as shooters preferences changes and you know the feedback we were getting we were kind of looking to get a more streamlined thinner lighter weight you know brace so the current vector pistol does not have that psb brace on it even though i do think SB Tactical still offers it, mm-hmm. um, but currently the Vector is sold with the SBXK, which is a little bit smaller, thinner, and uh, you know, it just kind of keeps the overall profile of the Vector a little bit more compact. So if somebody wanted to put on that brace, they could still use the SB Tactical brace if they wanted to? Oh, totally. I mean, the, the way that the Vector is designed now, the back of the receiver is the same threading as an AR-15, you know, lower receiver. So any mm-hmm. buffer tube, pistol tube will fit on it. So any brace that's on the market, obviously SP Tactical makes the best ones. They're kind of the originators of it. So that's why we use that as the OEM brace. But mm-hmm. if you wanted to change it out for a different whatever, then, you know, anything that fits on an AR-15 will fit on the back of the vector. Very cool. And yeah. if you guys want to check that out, just go to sb-tactical.com. If you see something you like, use the code GUNFUNNY15, and that gets you 15% off. All right, so let's go back and talk about the 22 variant of the mm-hmm. Vector that you guys just came out with. I think, you, did you announce it at SHOT Show? Yeah, yeah, the 22 is our newest release. So okay. SHOT, Show 20, yeah, SHOT Show 2020. Okay, and and I remember talking to you about it at SHOT Show, and it's significantly less expensive, which mm-hmm. is MSRP is what, five or 600 bucks? S- Six ninety nine, I believe it is six forty nine, something like that. It's under seven hundred dollars, which okay. is about half the cost of what it would be for a centerfire vector. Yeah, definitely. I like the fact that I definitely think twenty two has a place in the gun world. And the first gun that I ever bought was a twenty two, and I think it's especially great for beginners because you get comfortable with that gun, and then right. you know, once you get the concept down, then you could always upgrade to larger calibers. If right. anything, I think it's a great opportunity for younger kids to get a chance to shoot a Chris Vector without having to shoot a larger caliber. Yeah, exactly. And that, that was definitely uh, one of the main considerations for for that kind of firearm. You know, the, like you said, the 22 is the oftentimes the first caliber that a lot of novice shooters shoot. The very first gun I ever fired was a 22 long rifle. So mm-hmm. um, it definitely made a lot of sense. Um, another major another major consideration that was driving the development of the 22 is the international market. So other places around the world that don't have the Second Amendment, they're really restricted on the type of guns that they can own. Yeah. And uh, a lot of times, 22 long rifle is the only caliber that somebody who's not a police officer is allowed to have. So. Uh, the Vector 22 has been a pretty big hit in the U.S., you know, like you said, with you know novice and, and newer shooters, but it's also been a huge hit internationally for people that want to own a Vector that aren't allowed to have a centerfire gun. So mm-hmm. uh, we're pretty happy with uh, with how the gun's been performing so far. Obviously, it's only been on the market since January, but it's doing really, really well. Yeah. And also, 22, it can be a very finicky caliber. 
mm-hmm. you typically have a lot of misfires and stuff. But I gotta yeah. say, actually, I didn't experience any issues. And I tried, I think I used three different brands of ammunition. Mm-hmm. That was also pretty cool because I know a lot of these 22s, before you break them in, it only takes yeah. a specific high velocity. That was also kind of nice because it'll pretty much just shoot anything. Yeah, Rimfire has always been a little bit finicky, but when it we has. did go through the testing with it, we, we made sure to get a wide variety of ammo. So there's no way you can engineer problems out of everything, but I think we did a pretty good job of, of making it useful with for a lot of different type of ammo out there. Mm-hmm. Did you guys run into any challenges when you were creating the Vector platform in 22? I want to say probably the main challenge is getting the magazine made to feed. I think that's the main problem with a lot of rimfire guns out there. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably why the Ruger 1022 is as prominent as it is for a rimfire gun, because the magazine, the bullet just feeds straight into the chamber. Mm-hmm. Whereas a magazine like ours and many others out there, you know, fitting a, a 22 that's not directly behind the breech is kind of the main challenge. So, you know, we had to develop our own magazine for the gun. That was a mandatory thing. We couldn't use an existing platform. So like the Vector, we have a little bit of leeway with it because we use Glock magazines. But sometimes that gets us into trouble because we don't actually manufacture the magazine. And Glock is not beholden to us when they want to change something in their design or process, you know. But uh, with the 22, because of like you said, a lot of times they can't be finicky. We had to make sure that the magazines were working. So mm-hmm. that's that's actually why... The gun is released. It's available in a 10-round capacity. We're working on the 30-round capacity. We're right near the end of our quality assurance process right now. Uh, so far, it's running really well. But you know, that's that's kind of why that magazine has taken a little bit longer to come out, the 30-rounder, because, uh, yeah, we just had to go through a lot of testing just to make sure that it would feed properly. So that's that's kind of the main culprit, I think, behind uh, a lot of problems with rimfire, uh, rimfire semi-automatic guns. Yeah, definitely. And I guess that would be my only complaint is when I was shooting it, it was like, boom, 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 boom. Okay. Mags up. It's like, all right, go back, you know, reload. 10 rounds goes kind of fast. So now you know what it feels like to live in California. (laughs) Yeah. No kidding. (laughs) I couldn't even. And that's where you live right now. California. Yeah. Yeah. Southern California. Okay. So no wonder you needed coffee before we started. I'm like, what do you mean? For some reason I was thinking you were on the East coast. Oh no. And so that's why I'm like, Hey, if you want to record a little earlier, we can. Yeah. And you're probably like, uh, yeah, negative. I just woke up. <laughs> well, to be honest, I, I've been awake for a while and I don't even really drink coffee that often, mm-hmm. but because we're doing the recording, I came into the office and I'm not working from home today. Yeah. And there's this hipster coffee shop that just opened up down the street from my office. And, you know, I don't have a lot in common with these guys that wear really tight jeans <laughs> right. and, and stuff, but man, their coffee is like really good. So I know. <laughs> since I was coming in, I was like, man, I need to get a cup of coffee. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I got to say, hipsters, the microbrews, the mm-hmm. avocado toast, the coffee, mm-hmm. they kind of hit a home run with all that stuff. Yeah, totally. And, you know, it's it's tough to admit some of that. but I know, especially because most, most of them are anti-gun. So it's like, uh, you yeah. almost hate to give them the business, but then... It's just really good. So if they make a good product, it's a hard, it's hard to say no to it, man. It really is. Yeah. The way that they measure out the coffee beans and then it's all like weighted and it's like chemistry. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, you know, the proof is in the pudding. The stuff tastes really great. Yeah. Meanwhile, I'm over here just with my coffee maker and I just dump the bag. I don't even weigh it out. I have no idea. Some days I'm sure I get more caffeine than others. Right. Yeah. It's just, (laughs) it's not so great. In addition to the vector. You guys also have the Sphinx SDP. Can you tell me a little bit about that gun? Yeah. So the uh, Sphinx is our line of more, I guess you could say, traditional handguns. Uh-huh. Um, so obviously the Vector has the Super V technology in it. The Sphinx line of guns is based off of the CZ platform. So our slide rides inside the frame as opposed to the other way around, which most guns are made. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's a double single action, you know, nine millimeter handgun, just like the CZ 75. So the main difference is that basically our, our, our tolerances and our manufacturing process are kind of a step above, you know, a lot of people describe the Sphinx as the Rolex of CZs mm-hmm. because, you know, we just need a little bit more attention to detail. Um, you know, the machining process is a little bit more precise. And I mean, it's actually out of all of the things we make, the Sphinx is, is my favorite product, probably because I shoot more pistol than anything else. When you get the gun in your hands, it, it just fits like a glove. You know, when I pull my Sphinx up, the sights are already kind of online. 
and it's just a matter of you know controlling your trigger and then boom you can let the shots go but yeah we have the sphinx in a compact and something called a compact duty so it's about the same size as a g19 a glock mm -hmm. g19 and then the compact duty has an extended grip so it's an equivalent of like your g19x it's a steel and aluminum double single action nine millimeter and you should totally check it out if you haven't yet and what is mag capacity on that so the standard mag capacity is 15 rounds with the compact, and then the compact duty is 17 rounds. Okay. And then, of course, we make a 10-round magazine if you live somewhere restrictive like I do. But I can't even get the Sphinx. It's a problem. Like, even though the magazine capacity is, you know, within what the state defines as safe, we have something called the safe handgun roster in California. So Yeah, I know. I heard about that. Products. It's so ridiculous. It is. Fortunately, there's some legislation going through challenging some of the ridiculous laws here. So hopefully that turns out well. Yeah, definitely. I'm looking at the gun right now. I like that beaver tail in the back. Yeah. It just has, it does have a nice look to it. And I like it because it looks like you can get like a much higher grip and absorb mm -hmm. all that recoil. Yeah, definitely. The bore axis is kind of low. The mm -hmm. slide, because it's so little mass yeah. compared to other handguns, you know, the, there's not as much reciprocating mass for so it's less recoil to manage. The trigger is obviously very nice. All of the metal components on our Sphinx are machined from billet and then fit together by hand. So you're really getting, for the price, you know, because yeah. the gun's under $1,000, you're really getting a high quality, almost like semi-custom, semi-production gun for, for a really affordable price. So yeah, and it like looks that is my favorite product out of everything we make. And MSRP is a little less than $1,000. Yeah, so it starts at 949, I believe. And then depending on, you know, because we have a couple of different color options and a couple of different other options, it'll go up to about 1100 or so. Okay. You know, but the that... origins. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, I said the origins of the gun. So Sphinx has been around in Switzerland for, for decades. And the pedigree of the brand is really rooted in competition. So that's kind of what happened. Like we acquired Sphinx um, in Switzerland in about 2012. And instead of making, three or four thousand dollar custom production guns you know we're making a more duty appropriate you know more cost effective handgun in the sdp so that's what we're offering now mm -hmm. you guys do offer like a variety of different colors i'm curious mm -hmm. with all of your guns what is the most common color that people typically pick out it's black okay and then after that after black it's probably a toss-up between fde and alpine white Alpine White's been a pretty big hit uh, for us for the Vector, for the DMKs. The DMK is our, our 22L, our AR-15, um, and for the Sphinx. So, yeah, it's kind of black and then black by a long shot, and then FDE and white kind of take, you know, go back and forth for number two. But, you know, we offer gray, we offer OD green, but, you know, it's not as popular. The, the, the guns like that are really photogenic, and there's like a small sect of people out there that really like OD or yeah. really like gray. You know, maybe they want to match their urban gray, you know, kit or something like that. But yeah, because you know, sales numbers don't really support it. Well, that's what I picked out was the gray. And so far, I've gotten a lot of compliments on the color. And I was yeah. considering white, but then I was like, nah, you know, winter's almost over. It's really, it's not going to be a good look. It's not going to go with the gram too well. So, yeah. you know. <laughs> Yeah, well, whenever we post, like, a lot of people do compliment grain. A lot of people like it, but not a lot of people buy it for some reason. I don't yeah. know why. And, and the white is, like, super popular. You would figure, like, if you actually use the gun, it's going to get really dirty. And yeah, the clean freak in me, that's what I was thinking as oh, well. Yeah. So Yeah, you would not have fun cleaning the white. <laughs> I know. <laughs> that white Unless you just never shot it. Like, you could get the gun, keep it nice and neat for the grams, and just take pictures with it. <laughs> right. Just pretend like I'm shooting like style, it. So Yeah. I'm kind of curious with everything going on with COVID-19, how has it affected the business? Well, obviously there's a huge gun rush in March. Mm -hmm. You know, I think we sold more guns in the U.S. than at any other month in our history. So that was cool. So on that side, things are going pretty well. We have a pretty big back order of guns. But I think I mentioned to you at SHOT Show, we also make airsoft guns. And that's pretty much dead in the water. So <laughs> it's kind of a, a give and take for us. You know, we're doing pretty well on the gun side, but the airsoft revenue is kind of in the toilet. So uh, I would say that we're hanging in there is probably the best way to put it. And the airsoft side, did that just plummet since all of this happened or? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a pretty growing hobby and part of our overall strategy was really to develop airsoft. It's really kind of a key component moving forward for us because you can have an airsoft gun if you're not an adult. Mm -hmm. um, you know, your, your parents need to buy it for you, but it's a hobby that you can get into as, as a teenager or, or even younger. 
a lot of times these kids go up to become gun owners and maybe they start with a 22, which is more affordable. And then maybe they graduate to a centerfire gun. So it's a pretty big component of our overall strategy to extend the customer life cycle. But, you know, it's not an essential business in the same way that firearms are. And it requires a community of players to go out and congregate at a, at a field to go play. And so mm-hmm. when the government puts the kibosh on gatherings, then uh, they can't go play anymore. There's no reason to buy airsoft guns. Yeah, definitely. I'm actually surprised that you said that this last month was the highest sales that you've seen because during the Obama uh, administration, mm-hmm. people joke that he was like the gun salesman of the year. Oh, yeah, he definitely was. And well, so- I was just I was referring more to just the overall country in general. I think the NICS checks for March toppled to three, 3.7 million NICS checks or something like that. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. not all of those are for gun purchases, but a lot of them are. Yeah. So uh, I don't know about our sales in particular was definitely not the the best month for us, like specifically, but just for the United States in general, you know, the big gun scare mm-hmm. and not the gun scare, but the big virus scare. And, you know, people are kind of worried about civil unrest. Everybody went out to go buy guns. Uh, so there's a lot of first time gun owners out there that, you know, bought their first gun in March 2020. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, whether fortunately or unfortunately for us, our gun's not really a, a first time gun owner. Yeah, gun. that's what I was thinking. Yeah. So a lot of people are going out to buy handguns. And um, then and then once they get bit by the bug, then they're yeah. you know, you're gonna see them down the road. Yeah. We get a lot of video gamers too that maybe maybe somebody really likes Call of Duty or, you know, the division or something like that. So maybe somebody like that might buy the vector as their first gun. Mm-hmm. But generally the vector's your second, third, you know, fourth, fifth gun purchase. You know, you usually kind of get your your ARs out of the way, you get your CCW handguns out of the way, and then you know, then you get your fun guns or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. yeah. Has this affected your guys' production at all, or do you think that you're going to run into future problems? I can't really predict the future. I know that things have been kind of slow for us because we have a limited staff. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we have uh, have to take some precautions to, you know, make sure that our staff are safe, you know, as far as, you know, keeping everything sanitary, making sure everybody keeps their their space, you know, just making, keep, keeping everybody accountable. You know, if somebody's not feeling well, of course, we're not going to make them come into work, yeah. even though we have a huge back order of, of, of orders because of the big rush. But, yeah. you know, the safety of our staff comes first and, you know, we've had to make some modifications to our production line to make sure that everybody feels comfortable coming into work. But, you know, we're, like I said, we're, we're hanging in there. We're trucking along. So I hope things go back to normal soon, but I mean, I think we kind of mentioned off camera, there's probably going to be a new normal for us kind of moving forward even once things kind of start opening back up yeah i know i agree i agree and all that stuff it just makes me so just i don't know it kind of stresses me out a little bit i hate the unknown Mm -hmm. i think i'm also a little bit of a control freak to an extent so Mm -hmm. just having all of this stuff up in the air and i don't have any control over it is just really unsettling which i'm sure a lot of people can agree and i guess we could just only hope for the best do you guys have any future plans or anything coming up? Any new releases in the future? Well, there's definitely going to be more development with the Super V system and applying that technology to different type of guns. I know a lot of people everywhere we post online, people are asking for a rifle caliber, like a 5.56 or a 308 mm-hmm. or something like that. Something like that will probably be way down the line. But for right now, the, the vector system is going to be applied more to pistol calibers. But we have other models in the works for for the vector. 22 is, is still going to be a big development for us. We're going to still develop that product line. Because like I said, the international you know shooting community, a lot of times that's all they have is, yeah. is 22. And so that's that's a big focus for us. The Sphinx lineup has been a little stagnant recently, but I'm pretty excited for the stuff that we have coming down the pipe for Sphinx. So eventually that, uh, you know, we'll see some new models there and probably more towards our roots in, uh, you know, competition, precision, precision handguns. You know, it's going to bump the price up quite a bit, but I think uh, the end product will be something that'll be really competitive in USPSA and IPSC, et cetera. So that's, that's kind of what we have coming down the pipe. And like I said, we also make airsoft guns too. So that's, you know, moving forward, we're going to be expanding uh, pretty much on all fronts. So that's that's kind of the idea. Mm-hmm. Very cool. And where can listeners find you guys on the interwebs? Our website is www.chris-usa.com. We're on Instagram at chrisusainc. We're on Facebook at chrisusa. So, you know, any Google, Google Chris and, and then we're going to pop up. All right, cool. Awesome. Yeah. 
All right. So moving forward, we're going to talk about IWI real quick. IWI is releasing the Zion 15. It's their first M4 variant rifle. And the best part of it, so I have not gotten my hands on one yet, but I was looking online and the best part is this MSRP is $899, which is pretty affordable for an AR. And figure street price is probably going to be a little less than that. So super excited to see how well it operates. And I'm excited for them to come out with their first M4 variant rifle. If you guys want to check that out, go to IWI.us. Stupid, funny, cool, interesting, awesome, as Never mind. AF. I'm actually really glad that you live in California because you can probably chime in quite a bit about this. A few days ago, a federal judge, he blocked California law requiring background checks for people buying ammunition, which in my opinion is just so stupid to begin with. U.S. District Judge Roger Benitez of San Diego, he called the ammunition background check law constitutionally defective. He said that criminals, tyrants, and terrorists don't do background checks. He wrote, the background check experiment defies common sense while severely burdening the Second Amendment rights of every responsible gun-owning citizen desiring to lawfully buy ammunition. Mm-hmm. This lasted all of about, what was it, 24 hours maybe? Yeah, a couple of days, really. It went into effect last Friday. Okay. Around 4 p.m. is when I got the notification immediately i told all of my friends if you need to buy ammo buy it now yeah <laughs> because no kidding. this is not gonna last <laughs> yeah unfortunately the whole covid19 rush there's not a lot of ammo on the shelves and well, the prices have been skyrocketing anyway so i don't think there was a lot of inventory left for california to purchase but judge benitez he's been uh, really challenging a lot of the uh, unconstitutional gun laws here in california so this was the ammo law which was really cool he is also currently considering a case against the California assault weapons law, you know, regulating our ridiculous laws about, about rifles and whatnot. And he's also the same judge that gave us freedom week, quote unquote, he challenged the magazine capacity law and the same thing, the same thing happens every time, you know, he, he puts the injunction in and then there's a stay that's granted, basically a stay on his injunction until, you know, a higher court can, can decide on it but yeah the this ammo background check is the most recent law that he's put an injunction on so yeah so he's um, he's definitely doing a good job talk about i remember the magazine mm -hmm. band you know when it was uplifted for about a week and everybody bought magazines like crazy yeah the entire nation was sold out yeah (laughs) yeah i know and and there was tons of people shipping within and you know it was good did I read this right? It says the law requires buyers who are already in the state's firearm background check database to pay a dollar fee each time they buy ammunition. Yeah. I can't remember when this law was put in place. I think it was voted on in 2016 and passed and went into effect in 2018 or something like that. But yeah, basically there has to be an, a background check to purchase ammunition. So the very first time, if you've never bought ammo before, I believe the fee is $20. Wow. And then every time after that, if you want to buy ammo, it's a dollar. And so it, it's just a ridiculous way to make owning a gun really expensive. And it actually is even beyond that. So if you don't own a gun in the caliber that you're buying, and I don't know how these computers or, or what you know database is looking this up, but let's say you, you don't own a shotgun, you cannot go buy 12-gauge ammunition or any kind of shotgun ammo because you don't own a gun that you're buying the ammo for. That's ridiculous. So you're saying that if I were like, hey, let's go and shoot my guns. Do you mind pitching in for ammo? Just pick up a box of this or that. You couldn't do exactly. it because you don't. Yeah, exactly. Gosh. The store won't sell it to you. And I didn't even know that was a part of the rules until recently, because like I said, there are a lot of first time gun owners have been buying guns now because of the fire scare. One of those first time gun owners was my brother-in-law. So that same exact scenario, you know, you have to wait, you know, 10 days for the gun to arrive, but he couldn't buy ammo for his gun that was going to be his just because he didn't take possession of it yet. Wow. So, and so he yeah, couldn't pretty, really, pretty ridiculous. he couldn't really take advantage of buying ammo while it was still available before exactly. everyone bought it out. Exactly. Well, so that's why the stay was so important. That's why I told him to buy ammo right away because the laws were in effect, you know, not 
enforceable for for that time frame. Yeah. So I think he was able to purchase ammo, but he, he took already he already took a uh, delivery of a shotgun anyway. But yeah, just the the way that the laws are written in California, I think the politicians, you know, they're smart. They, they know that they can't just go out and say, okay, no more guns. So they make it exponentially more expensive to own and operate a gun here than it would be let's say where you are yeah well and, and look at also there's a lot of places that are proposing attacks what is it 30 percent on guns and 50 percent on ammunition yeah they're like all right cool well, we can't ban guns but we can like you said it's make so it as difficult as, yeah exactly so, i'm curious for anybody who ordered online during that time do you think yeah. that deliveries will still be made if there were are they basically grandfathered into that order when the ammunition background check thing was lifted? Or do you think that they had to cancel all of those orders once they reversed the law? I think as soon as the order is made, they can take delivery of it. Now, I don't know. It'll probably take some scholar to litigate that specific point. But that's that's kind of how the the magazine thing was operated. So the stay was granted a week after the injunction was put in place but as long as you had an order in before the stay went into effect then you got to get it delivered now whether or not that was within the the rules of the stay or the rules of the injunction um it'll take somebody more adept at law than me to interpret that but that's how that's how it went so i'm i hope that uh, if, if people got their orders in before the stay was put in place that they were able to you know take delivery of ammo but i'm not really sure yeah i mean if nothing else for the company that's delivering you know shipping out all this ammo it'd probably be a mess yeah. for them to cancel those orders yeah and i know some people because i had other friends that were kind of reporting back to me saying that their orders were canceled not because of the stay per se but just because they and how there was not enough inventory so yeah yeah i hope i hope everybody that got their orders in was able to take delivery of them and uh you know i hope everybody kind of jumped on that as soon as you know as soon as it was available because i knew it was a window that wasn't going to be open very long mm -hmm. okay yeah. all right well moving forward sharps bros they just released a replacement grip for the thompson center g1 or the ssk frame which has a 1913 rail on the back of the grip this is cool because it basically allows you to install a folding stock or folding brace if you like the brace that SB Tactical has. Um, makes it super convenient. It's on sale right now for $89.96, and you can find that at sharpsbros.com. Q&A. There's no such thing as a stupid question. Just kidding. Visit gunfunny.com forward slash contact to submit yours. All right. So today's question is, what is the most hilarious childhood memory you can think of? I had to think about this. I think there's quite a few funny things that I did and quite a few screwed up things that I did as a kid. I was actually pretty devious and fairly smart. I remember one time I put sunless tanning lotion on this girl's face so that her nose, well, just on her nose so that her nose would turn brown. <laughs> Which I was like in fourth grade at the time. And I'm thinking back, I'm like, the fact that I could even think about that and come up with that is, you know, I was, I was pretty smart back then. <laughs> Tim, do you remember any really funny childhood memory? Uh, I don't know. I think I'm a pretty funny guy in general. So I, I don't know if I could pick one in one specific memory. But the thing that comes to mind right away when I heard that question was maybe I called in sick for myself one time that I didn't want to go to school <laughs> and I don't know why I thought I could get away with it because my mom actually worked at my high school uh -huh. but I basically called in sick pretended to be my dad and then said that I wasn't coming into school that day and then I'm just sitting at home eating Cheetos watching tv and then I get a phone call of course I'm not supposed to be home so I don't answer the phone this is the house phone it's back when we had landlines and it's my mom on the answering machine and she's like Tim get your ass to school right now. I know you're just sitting at home. And I was just like, oh man, I got busted. <laughs> I don't know why I thought I could get away with it, but maybe I was devious at, uh, when I was younger, but probably not as smart as you. <laughs> I used to forge my mom's signature and say that I could ride on the bus home with my friends so that I could go to my mm -hmm. friend's house, which is so That's stupid perfect. because obviously then my mom would have to pick me up from my friend's house afterwards. Mm -hmm. But I would forge. My mom had a, a really weird signature. It was a bunch of little scribbles. So it was kind oh, of okay. easy to forge. But mm. I also, the other day, I was at the bank and a memory came to mind. I was, 
I don't know, maybe I was 10 to 12 years old and I was sitting in the passenger seat. My mom was at the bank. And so figure the person who's, you know, in the next lane, their window's down because they're doing whatever through the drive through of the bank. Mm-hmm. And I look over and make eye contact with the guy. And I was like, hey, my mom thinks you're hot. <laughs> And it totally like, I mean, my mom didn't think this guy was hot and this guy was not hot. He, I remember he was just like really unfortunate looking, but <laughs> for whatever reason, I just wanted to embarrass my mom and I just thought it was hilarious. And, and then it was just super awkward because you can't even drive away. You're still stuck at that lane waiting for the bank to, to send a receipt or whatever. Oh, your mom was in the car next to you. Well, my mom was in the driver's seat. I was in oh, the okay. passenger seat. And then the car that was right next to us. He had his window down and I just made eye contact with him and I was like, hey, my mom thinks you're hot. What happened after that? Did he even respond? Yeah, he laughed and like blushed. And then my mom was just like, what? And then, you know, obviously blushed and laughed too. But I mean, that was that was all kind of, you know, kind of genius on my part. Because you can't. It's a harmless prank. It is, yeah. And I just, I don't know. I thought it was funny. And then I remember also calling my parents work, and I would always prank call them at first before I'd actually start talking to them just to see how far I could go. So I don't know. My poor parents. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you've made it up to them now that you're a more responsible adult, right? Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. Define responsible. I mean, I could pay my bills. I pay my bills. I have my own house, my car. So I guess they did okay. (laughs) Yeah, you're probably much better off than some of the other kids your age. Oh, yeah, definitely. All right, moving forward, Palmer 80. Right now they have a strip slide for the PF94V2 or the CL, and it's in black nitride. It's on sale right now for $250. You can find that at palmer80.com. Don't forget to use the code GUNFUNNY, and that gets you 15% off. Tactic Talk. Discussing popular guns and gear. Love it? Hate it? Find out now. All right. So I don't know if you had a chance to click on the link that I put in the show notes because you almost have to look at it in order to get an idea of what I'm talking about. But Valhalla Tactical, they've been posting teaser pics of a new offset red dot mount on their Instagram. And when you first look at it, you might wonder what on earth they're thinking because it's just so different than what you've seen on the market. Basically, they started with one piece. It's an aeroscope mount and Uh, designed a replacement ring for the one side that puts the red dot hanging low and partway upside down. This does two things. It puts the red dot sight at the same height over bore as the primary optic so that you don't have to adjust your head and hunt for the dot. The red dot is now at a 90 degree angle relative to the receiver with the red dot directly over the barrel. So this means the windage adjustment becomes the vertical adjustment and the vertical becomes the horizontal adjustment. Many offset mounts do not keep the red dot aligned with the barrel requiring an offset for the point of impact. So far, it's just a prototype. They have not released this, but I'm interested to see how well it works. It makes sense once it's explained, but just looking at it right away, you're just like, what is going on? It looks like somebody who had no idea how to install a red dot managed to install well, to a shift, red dot. To shift the red dot over like that so that your adjustments, like you mentioned, are kind of inverted as far as your uh, windage and elevation. That's a trick that that competition guys have been using for a while on on a lot of their handguns. If you look at some of the really high-end open guns, you'll see mm-hmm. a, a red dot sight mounted sideways. So, so I actually, it, I have that. that. Exactly that. Yeah. So I have, I have a, what is it? Tank Foglio uh, custom gold. Perfect. Yeah. It's rotated. It's it's mounted mm-hmm. where it's sideways. I yeah. bought it like that. My dad actually it was funny. And I think I've said this before. My dad, I don't know what he was thinking. He decided to buy this gun and it's a few thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. And yeah. we were at breakfast one day and he's like, yeah, I don't even know what I was thinking buying that gun. And I was like, well, I'll buy it off you if you want. And he's like, uh, all right. I think he said like eight or nine hundred dollars. And I just so happened to have that on me. I don't know why, because I <laughs> typically don't. And I was like, bam, here you go. And and I think he was just like, uh, uh like thinking that I wouldn't just pull out the money. So yeah. I ended up with that gun. And and you're right. It is rotated sideways. I haven't tried it any other way. It's just I haven't yeah. really messed with it. Yeah. So 
No, that's a solid gun. The the Tenfoglio is, I want to say, similar to the Sphinx, where it's kind of based on the CZ design. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. As far as ergonomics go, and you know, the slide inside the frame. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm super familiar with Tenfoglio. I like their stuff. Well, and because my dad bought it, he's in his 70s, so he's kind of like a boomer sorta. Of. So he bought it in <laughs> 45, oh, okay. and and I'm like, uh, 45. But it actually shoots really well. Like you wouldn't even know. You would think that you were shooting a nine because the yeah. recoil. It is very well designed. Is it, uh, does it have a compensator at the front of it? Yes, it does. Okay. Yeah. That definitely helps. Yeah. A lot of those race guns, it's, it's pretty amazing what, uh, what you can do when you put all that kind of technology into the gun. And then especially if you are able to get custom loads or loads specifically for your, your handgun, it almost feels like you're shooting a BB gun. Yeah. I haven't gotten into the custom loads yet. Yeah, neither have I. And I haven't I haven't done any competition shooting either. I barely have time to do anything really at this point. Yeah. I usually, I mean, I, I try to go out and shoot a USPSA match at least once a month. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really intend to win. You know, yeah. I'm not expecting to go out there and, you know, become a grand, grandmaster or anything like that. But it's a good way to just kind of keep your skills up and, you know, keep, you know, your fundamentals. And obviously shooting under stress is... Uh, you know, it's just just a good way to kind of practice. You know, yeah. it's kind of the way I see it. I don't expect to win. I don't, I'm not expecting to be a gunfighter like uh, I don't know, like Travis Haley or anything like that. But mm-hmm. uh, I think it's a good way to keep your fundamentals together. Yeah, absolutely. I tell my students all the time if they're looking for additional training, instead mm-hmm. of paying hundreds of dollars for advanced classes, just mm-hmm. to look up local IDPA matches. Yeah, because that's also a really affordable way to shoot under pressure and make sure mm-hmm. that your hits are counting and and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So. I, yeah, I definitely. IDPA. I, I shoot IDPA every once in a while. It's a little bit more. Uh, it's a little bit of a slower pace, in my opinion, but it, it gives you a good chance just to, get, to make sure your fundamentals on your draw to pace, especially if you if you shoot competition, you know, from a concealed holster, because, mm-hmm. um, you know, IDPA has different rules about, you know, concealability. But if you want to practice, you know, inside the waistband draw and fire, IDP is definitely the way to go. Yeah. USPSA is a little bit more of a, of a game, quote unquote. So yeah. you're really gunning against the clock. So, you know, kind of once you get your fundamentals down, you want to see how fast you can go. I, I definitely think USPSA is a fun game to shoot. Yeah, no, I agree with that. But I do like IDPA just for the fact that you have to keep behind cover and stuff. So it's also yeah. developing good habits, but you're right. Yeah. It's, it's much slower pace, but I would say that that would be the next step for people who are tired of just shooting point blank at a target. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, I don't really go out and shoot just, you know, at a paper, paper yeah. targets anymore. And IDPA can be a lot of fun. If you're, if your local club has a lot of props to make uh, the stages really creative, then mm-hmm. uh, it can be a lot of fun, you know, to shoot IDPA. Yeah, I completely agree. All right. If you guys want to check out what I just talked about, the company is Valhalla Tactical. So check them out on Instagram. Moving forward, Trigger Brew. I actually, I don't know if you just realized when I I paused for a second, I was like, "Uh uh-huh, yep, because I was just drinking some coffee (laughs) and I had to swallow really quickly because I thought you were going to talk a little bit longer. (laughs) (laughs) So thanks, Tim. I hope it it was iced coffee and it was hot. (laughs) It's cooled down at this point. Yeah. (laughs) But Trigger Brew, they have all kinds of stuff, jerky, coffee, energy drinks. And I was thinking, so they have really funny names, but they also taste great. It's really kind of the perfect, if you don't know what to get somebody and you want to get them a gift, I would say this makes the perfect gift. You know, anybody who's into guns and has a sense of humor, head on over to triggerbrew.com. Check out what they have. Don't forget to use the code GUNFUNNY and that gets you 20% off. All right. And now it is time for iTunes reviews. If you guys haven't left an iTunes review, please do so. It helps me out a lot. I'm about to hit, I don't know, I think a little over 300. So I'd really, really appreciate it if you guys left a review and you have the opportunity to win cool stuff. First review is John Bob Shing, Shingen Ging. I don't know. Five stars. Entertaining. Gun Funny is entertaining without being too pretentious like many gun quote unquote experts out there doing podcasts. Looking forward to seeing how this channel evolves. What do you mean how this channel evolves? This, this channel has been in September. It'll be three years, <laughs> <laughs> but that's cool that you still think, you know, <laughs> Never stop growing. <laughs> yeah, I'll just continue. Yeah, exactly. 
Second is Jon Snow 338, five stars, a tired of quarantine, tired of being cooped up and not being able to see my friends. At least there's a new episode of Gun Funny every Monday morning to help us stay sane, as well as entertained and informed on news in the gun world. So Tim, out of those two, pick a lucky winner to win a prize pack. I think I'm going to have to go with Jon Snow. All right. John Even Conte. though I'm really mad at Game of Thrones for the way they ended, but you know. Dude, I, I know. It well, wasn't I've... Jon's fault. So I actually only watched the last two episodes of the entire thing. Yeah. <laughs> and oh, that's man. because we had, I had some friends that uh, came over to watch it and I was like, all right, yeah, sure. I'll just watch it with you. But seeing the ending, I'm like, well, I'm glad I didn't just waste all this time watching it. Cause I would have been, I mean, everyone was bummed by how it ended. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, part of it was because they invested so many years into the series and then for it to end that way, it was just a, I don't know. I mean, I can't really knock them too badly because a lot of shows start out really good and then they just kind of don't know where to go up and then they just cut it off real fast. So yeah. I guess it wasn't new, but it was kind of disappointing because the show was really good. If you, if you, you know, you're, you're stuck at home anyway. If you want to go back and watch season one through four, I think if you stop at the end of four, you'll be you'll be fine. Hmm. Well, yeah. I know there's a lot of TV shows as they're pushing them out. They don't even know how it's going to end. It's not like they okay. have a plan. How do we get from A to B? They're just yeah. creating it as we go. And yeah. and they're not even sure how it's going to end. And I think that that typically is what makes a bad ending. Well, sometimes it ends up working out. So Die Hard was filmed that way. The very first Die Hard movie that everybody loves. Mm -hmm. They were literally writing the script as they were shooting it. So the script was only a couple weeks ahead of production. Wow. And then boom, Die Hard was 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 awesome, right? But yeah, I think Game of Thrones, they had all the source material from the books. And then once they didn't, because they filmed too far ahead and whatever the the art the author didn't finish the books, once they were on their own, they were kind of like, eh, where do we go from here? Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense, huh? Yeah. So. All right. Well, wrapping up, guys, you can find me at gunfunny.com. If you can't get enough of the show and you want to talk to like-minded people, especially if you guys are home bored, I would highly recommend become a patron, join the patron only Facebook group. And if you want to uh, become a patron, just head on over to patreon.com forward slash gunfunny. There's a link in the show notes. Also, Blown Deadline, they give away a uh, $300 gift certificate every month to a lucky Patreon. So if that's not more reason enough to become a Patreon, I also want to thank the $25 Patreons. And that is Corbin Bonafide, Iraq Veteran 8888, Ryan Morrison, Elliot and Mike Pappas, Joe Lyons, Justin Paulson, Jason Anderson, Joshua Hamp, and Sportsman's Guide. And King of the Patreon is still Jon Snow. He wants me to say that Operator Tickles keeps a diary. You may have heard of it. It's called the Guinness Book of World Records. <laughs> and Tim, are we friends on Facebook? I don't know. I'm not on Facebook a lot. Oh, okay. But, uh, well, I was going to say, if we are, you probably have seen my little dog Tickles. And that's who that's who uh, Operator that's Tickles who is. Operator Tickles is. Yeah, four pounds, but don't let the size fool you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And then one last time, if you could just remind listeners where they can find Chris online. Yeah, our website is chris-usa.com, and uh, you can find us on Instagram at chrisusainc and on Facebook at chrisusa. All right, cool. All right, well, thank you so much for spending so much time with me, and hopefully things work out in California for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty hopeful. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, of course, absolutely. And uh, on that note, we are out of here. <laughs> Want to send feedback? Tell us about a company or anything else. Go to gunfunny.com forward slash contact. <laughs> <laughs>